Welcome to the DMF. I am your host, Justin Yachts, and today is part two of my interview with Seth Greenkey. He is the president of Greenkey Management. He is a manager, a musician, and he was also a record producer. Enjoy. All right. So you do all this, you're record producer, manager, you play eight, eight instruments, you can write songs, you know. So how do you end up with, uh, how do we ma- transition into managing actors? Yeah, what went wrong? <laughs> I, I don't know. I was just like. Uh, well, I, I've been working in, I was music, working in the music industry. And the industry changed yeah. almost overnight. One time I, I had produced a group and I wanted to bring them to my friend who was a head of A&R, Pop R&B at, at uh, Polygram. I think it was Polydor at the time. And uh, so I called up, I called his number, and I said, uh, uh, let me talk to Rick. They said, he doesn't work here anymore. Well, in the music industry, A&R people, they go to company to company, they float around. He'd been there a few years. So I said, okay, uh, who's in charge of uh, pop R&B? And the person who answered the phone, the girl said, uh, I can't tell you. So I figured she was new. I said, I'll hold on till you find out. And she said, no, I can't tell you. I said, what do you mean you can't tell me? Go find somebody who's been there longer than you have and ask them. She says, no, I cannot tell you. We are not accepting unsolicited material. Well, that used to be the lifeblood record companies. People knocking on the doors or making appointments. They you know, meet with people they knew. They knew and this is in the 80s, the- I assume. This is in the uh, yeah the late late 70s early 80s. That's that's and, that's when corporate structuring started to really become a thing. Yeah, and and when uh, Erlsman bought CBS C- CBS and RCA used to be competitors for a hundred years. Yeah, and then Bertelsmann bought them both. It was like the Dodgers and the Yankees were the same team. So there was less competition for product. And if you didn't know specifically who to ask for, some companies that still knew them, they were still there, but they were being let go. And if you didn't know who to ask for, then they wouldn't tell you and you couldn't expose new material. I said, were you getting new material? And this were a lot of people from my era kind of dissipated away from the music industry. So, so, this, is, was, so this is the, yeah. And, and the same thing kind of happens with Hollywood as well. Yeah. It starts solidifying and it starts being run more like a like a business. Like you you have the, the business people coming in and they're not the creatives. I mean, this is kind of how George Lucas talks about this is how he kind of got hired is pretty much put these new people in charge and they didn't know any better. So they hired people from UCLA. Interesting. Yeah, there, there's, a, there's a lot of things that are very frustrating about it. And it cuts down. You lose a lot of creativity. You, you lose a lot of new voices. But they were just yeah. starting. The internet was just starting to happen. And they were just saying, who's got the most likes or the most followers on, on the internet? And uh, so they were changing their the paradigm for finding new artists. Or you had to be a music attorney that they knew. And it just got frustrating. Because you it would yeah. you have to take you it would take six months to create you're creating their product for them from demo to finished product. Usually they want you to bring a finished product and and it would take you know a lot of money and a lot of time invested. 
And uh, then you're saying, here it is. Do you, what, do you want our finished product? And there wasn't even really much development involved. And then you'd sit around waiting just, to get a. Yeah. And then they would just put it up, right? That's if, kind of. If you were lucky enough for them to, you know, lease the, the, the master from you yeah. with no guarantees. So it was, it became, we're making the stuff for you. You're not really investing much, except you're taking the product you think will be a hit and putting it out, which is why I did my own recording. I wanted to prove that it was airworthy, which I did do. And I didn't put any records in stores because I remember the story about private stock records that had, uh, at that time, $6 million worth of backing. And they had some hit records and they were pressing the records up uh, the stores were selling the records, and uh, but the record company wasn't making any money because the distributors were slow or never paying the record company. So every time they pressed the record, they lost money. And they had a couple of big hits. They had like I think they had My Eyes Adore You, Galley. They had uh, Samantha Fox or Samantha Samantha Sang, sang BJ's song, and they had a few hit records, but they went bankrupt because they were printing records for other people to sell collecting the money yeah so i said i'm not gonna uh print you know five thousand ten thousand twenty thousand singles put in stores for which i'll never get paid i'll just print up 500 copies promo copies and i had a bunch of radio stations playing it i was on playlists uh, throughout the tri-state area so when i did have a meeting with a couple of record companies they say well how many have you sold and i'd say none i'm not trying to sell any i'm just trying to prove that one person Without any promo, because of the quality of the material, it gets on the air. The DJs play it. Imagine what you guys can do with your promotion. But they they didn't get it. And because I had zero sale. Oh, that was one so of you're, my So you're last... dealing with people who just see it as numbers and cents. They're not really. Oh, so yeah. So you're, so... you're, you're just dealing with the numbers guys yeah. who don't have any creativity. Yeah. Uh, or, or enough thought to see. Well, listen, this guy, yeah. amateur, it's getting on the air. Is getting re- wouldn't stay on the air if they weren't getting re- requests to hear it. Again. Exactly. Well, like I, I wanted them see? to take over the. Yeah, I wanted yeah. them to take over the distribution and do some promotion. Yeah, didn't happen. Yeah, don't they see that? Like you're already you're already doing half the battle here. All I've proved. I've proven it's going to. Yeah, and if a song's on the radio, the, it will sell. Just. Because it's there. Yeah, exactly. That's and uh, yeah. so it's that's showbiz. So one that. of my artists, one one of my musicians, said he had a SAG card. Not that I really knew what that was, mm-hmm. but he said he was an actor. He yeah. said, "Can I help him with his acting career?" I said, "I have no idea, but I'll give it a try." And that's how I started working with that. I learned by doing. I could I could uh, spend uh, five ten minutes talking about my uh brush with acting which is kind yeah. of me talk about it all righty for that much to your chagrin we're going back to first grade where okay. i had a, i had a small role as an indian chief i had about two or three lines that included I remember this one me want fire water now all the pc crowd can get all over that one but this is when i was in first grade so yeah that's what grade, that's what it was referred to at that time right and we're, you know, stereotyping, you know, that they just wanted to drink whiskey. But it was just a line in a kid's play, first grade. Yeah. 
and it meant absolutely nothing. But you know, I could I could say you know those three words, and that was it. The, my, when I got to second grade, my second grade teacher said, "I want you for the lead of my play." I didn't want to do it because I knew I had a hard time remembering other people's words. I was good in school, but I couldn't memorize for the sake of memorization. And I knew that even when I was seven years old, it had to make sense to me, or it had to come from within me. And that, and that proved true later because when I was singing other people's songs mixed with some of my songs, I had trouble remembering the lyrics to somebody else's songs. But I really never had trouble with my songs because they came from within. But here I am in second grade being tasked with being the lead of this play, which I don't remember what it was, nor my character. And I could not remember the script to save my life. So my mother said, put the script under your pillow and sleep on it overnight. And I, even as a seven-year-old, I said, that makes no sense to me. But I tried it in the morning. I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so the night of the play comes and I start inserting lines from the second act into the first act going blank. It's like a, uh, who, who did those teen movies uh, like 16 Candles? John, what was the oh, name the, of it? Uh, yeah, John Hughes. John, John Hughes. Hughes. It was like a John Hughes movie where you're up on stage. It's a nightmare where you got everybody in the school laughing at you. And you're totally humiliated. Yeah. And I knew that, was, and that's what happened. And so the teacher had to, stand off to the side and say every one of my words for me to get me through the play. So they never branded you. <laughs> I, I, I am never going to do, I said, I'll never be an, try to be, be an actor again. I had no real desire to do that. Yeah. So flash forward about 20 years later, I had a roommate on 91st street and he was a wannabe actor from Racine, Wisconsin. He wanted to get acting jobs. I don't. I didn't know about acting agents at the time. I didn't know about casting directors at the time. So I said, he, he said, there's this uh, soap, and they're looking for. He must. He heard through the grapevine that they're looking for a guy from uh, a young doctor who just emerged coming back from the jungles of Brazil. I had long hair, longer than this, and I had a beard, and, and so, uh, but I. So I said to him. Why don't you just call him and ask him for an audition? He said, I, my natural tendency is, you know, I find a way around something. I find an answer uh, up, around, through, uh, under. Uh, so I wanted to prove a point to him that he could get an audition if he wanted it. So uh, I sat with the TV and long before uh, VCRs and sat there with the TV. First, I had to look up in the TV guide when the show was on. I looked up the show sat down in front of the TV with a notepad. And at the end of the show, I looked for the credits. Now, because I was a record producer, I looked for producer in the credits. Uh, so I wrote down the name of the producer. And then I got out the old phone book, you know, New York City phone book this thick. I was through the pages and I found ABC TV. And I called up and they had less guardrails up at that time. I called up and I asked for the name of the show. They said, hold on one second. They connected me to the show. I think it was All My Children. And they said, All My Children. And I said, I'd like to speak to Joe Blow, please. One second. And sure enough, Joe Blow gets on the phone. And I said, hello, Joe. I understand you're looking for uh, an actor for, for this uh, doctor who comes out of the jungles of Brazil. He said, that's right. He said, would you like to come in on audition? I said, yes. So I went into the audition uh, the next day, 
And I had no idea what I was doing. No clue. When, when I told my roommate I had no audition, he said, what are you going to do? I'll go. How hard could it be? Having forgotten my experience in second grade. So I, I got to the audition at uh, West 66th Street, West End Avenue. And I walk in, I check in, and they hand me uh, three or four pages, which is called sides. It's a part of the script you're going to audition with. I'd never seen the stuff before. So she saw my concern. She says, oh, you can take a few minutes in the other room to look it over. Now, keep in mind, I don't know what a casting director is. I don't know what sides are. I have no clue. I'm as clueless as you can possibly be. And then when I started looking at the script, I flashed back to second grade. I said, oh, my God, what have I gotten myself into? And I became an instant dyslexic with words jumping from one page to another, turning around upside down and backwards. I could not. So I'm trying to do the one hand, two ducks, one hand, two ducks, three squawking geese routine with the script. I'm trying to read the script and memorize it. And I'm having no luck. So, okay, let me just, what's the first line I'm going to say? Maybe that will kickstart me. Well, she says to me this line, and then I say that. I say, okay. So they call me in and they take me to what might be the set because it was all dressed, all well lit. And uh, there were couch, the living room. It was, it was, it was probably the set. And then this woman comes out, probably one of the series regulars, dressed camera ready, beautiful hair and makeup, low cut and pushed up. So she sits down on the, uh, before I sit down next to her, uh, when I came out, there were three people in these director style chairs. And one was probably the guy I spoke to on the phone. One was probably the casting director and was probably another producer. So I introduced, they introduced themselves. They asked me to introduce myself and they say, you know, I, I can keep the sides in my hand, which I learned later would be common when you're doing a cold read. Read was the term I had no clue. So I had the script in my hands and uh, they say, oh, would you shave and cut your hair for the role? I said, well, he just, I didn't, that was something I didn't want to do. I said, well, he just got out of the jungles of Brazil, right? Well, I said, a couple of them looked at each other. That was a detail they could, they'll deal with later. So uh, I s- sat down on the couch and this gorgeous woman comes sits next to me and presses up against me, all her body parts. She's in the moment. She's acting. She's looking at me deep in the eyes. And it's, you ever see the honeymooners where Jackie Gleason goes, hamana, 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 hamana? Yes, yes. Yeah, that was me. So I'm looking at the, trying to look at the script and trying not to look down on her inappropriately because she was slammed up against me. And and I just looking at the script and I was going, did you miss me when I was away? And I could see (laughs) the three people in the big chairs out of the corner of my eye. They're looking at, they're looking at each other like, what, whose idea was this? <laughs> Does anybody know this guy? Somebody's getting fired. <laughs> so they mercifully called it. They said, someone of them said, thank you. I said, thank you. And I left. So uh, when I got back, my roommate Jim said, how did it go? I said, 
it was a total disaster, but I got an audition, so you can too. So that was that was my uh, brush with acting. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so you went through all that just to prove the point. <laughs> just to prove the point that if you put your mind to it, you can get yeah. your audition. Only after I did mine, they said no more auditions from people we don't know. Oh yeah, really? Oh probably. Good. Somebody got fired, you know. Who let that guy in here? Anyway, so what's your next question? <laughs> well, all right. So would you so you're transitioning in so how does transitioning into to actors like okay, you know? yeah. So I had the one client who was a musician, yeah. but he was also an actor. So I started finding out about casting directors and then it turned out that one of my early clients was referred to me by a mutual friend. She knew I'd been a, a manager in the music business. So she recommended me. And she was had a uh, 30, 40 year reputation as an actress. So it gave me immediate credibility with casting directors. So I got to know some yeah. casting directors and I got to see what a truly talented actor looked like performing. And what they have to do. She had already won an Emmy. You mean, you mean they didn't do this? How did you? <laughs> no, tra she tra I saw her do a one-woman show, and she completely mm -hmm. transformed on stage. It was it was amazing, and she, she's the standard by which I've judged, you know, yeah. uh, clients or potential clients. So but, when you're so when you're trying to get like your feet wet with this with this job, are you are you go? Because you strike me as the type that would like find out where they hang out and go and and meet them. Meet who? Meet like the people that you need for your clients well, when you're just or, transitioning into. No, because casting directors don't hang out. They're busy working. No, it is kind of true. Home. It is kind of true. But you yeah. seem like you would be the one that would like find that that one time where they decide to go somewhere and you would be there. <laughs> Maybe a comedy agent or a comedy, a comedy manager agent. might do that. They go to the clubs, but that was yeah. not what I was doing. So, all right. So you so you get into that. What was it about managing that like made you kind of stay there? Like, what, was it just you comfortable? Did you just kind of feel a knack for it? There were there were a couple of aspects to it. I, w I was not an actor, but I was good at helping people get through the door. And then after that, it was up to them. And I'll go back to my days in the music business that after I produced an act and I, I bring their tapes, you know, all over Midtown, I'd have appointments all over town, auditioning uh, a demo for here, auditioning a demo for there. And I mean, I was getting tired. I was walking around miles and going up to offices, sometimes getting positive feedback, sometimes not. So I was, in effect, auditioning, although it wasn't my stuff. Sometimes they'd bring around my stuff, but more often than not, it was other people's. And I realized with actors, I'll send them out. They can go do the auditioning. I'll stay home. So it was a little bit of like, I'm too old for this. Let them go audition. But it's... it's uh, um, but getting audition, get helping someone get an audition, it, it's a really good feeling. Because yeah. there's so many people trying to get an audition, and then I'd help people find an agent. Because people confuse agents and managers. There is a little overlap, and uh, but the, there are some duties that are different and some that overlap. And uh, but helping somebody 
get to where they want to go is very, very satisfying. Yeah. I mean, uh, I've literally found someone in the subway with next to no credits, just a couple of off-Broadway yeah. tours and transforming that person into a series regular. That's that's a whole scope. So I don't, I, I like ha- getting some established people, but I also get a lot of satisfaction about someone who's got absolutely nothing and helping them build and, and guiding them through the process and helping them avoid the mistakes that most everybody yeah. would make. And uh, uh, it's just ex- accelerate them through the, through the process and getting them the opportunities they can, because once they have the opportunities, it's out of my hands. Yeah. I say, once you, once you are in the casting office and now everything until years ago was live in person now everything's virtual uh and self-taping but once you get that call to audition whether it's in person or virtual or self-taping no longer in my hands you do what you think is best you make your best guess because everybody in this business is guessing and i learned that in the music business i'll go back again to a meeting with uh, that album i made uh, with that group from Pennsylvania. And at 10.30 in the morning, I had an appointment with a big record company. And the guys play, he played the whole thing, both sides. Depends to play a song or two and see if they like it or not. But he played the whole thing back, both sides, which was a very good sign. And he's sitting back in his chair. He puts his feet up. He's tapping. He's, he's playing air drums. He's banging his ashtray. And he's choking his head. And he's finishing says you know what i like the group don't hear the music okay it's subjective then that afternoon at another meeting with another big a&r guy same routine puts on the disc plays both sides playing air drums playing air guitar to the lead guitar banging on the ashtray at the end he says you know what he said the the opposite whatever i said before you know i really i really like the music but i don't hear the band so at that point revelation they're all guessing they're afraid to say yes they don't want to get fired so that they're only going with their surest shot you know if uh if a known record producer with a long tracker comes in they're going to get the benefit of the doubt but uh, as you see how it goes yeah in anything (laughs) yes so uh same i apply the same same thing with that you can have you start at the, the the bottom. We send. We decide which picture to send in. Picture is going to get their attention. What tape is going to get their attention? And if they ask you at the audition, you have to make your choices in how you deliver your lines. Parrot ate the cracker. The parrot ate the cracker. You know, there's different ways to emphasize. You're going to hear it's going to be owned uh, a certain way. What are you going to wear? So these are your guesses. And then the casting director guesses which actor fulfills what the producer is looking for. Then the producer guesses which actors work well together. And these are all, you know, best guesses, you know, based upon years of experience. And then it gets, wow, we have a a thing. We've put together a whole cast to do a pilot. Well, they've guessed about the script, guessed about the story, guessed about all the actors. They've guessed which director they want to have. They've guessed which producer they want to have. They guess which guy writes the music for the background. Guess which scriptwriters fulfill this best, and it gets shot. Then it goes to the head of the network, 
are we going to put this on as a possible show? Let's put let's let's try the pilot episode. See if there's a reaction. Yeah. Okay, let's guess. Do we put this on Thursday at nine? Do we put this on Tuesday at eight? So they're all guessing all the way up and down the line. So yeah, and you know, by the time you get to the network executives, you're making 15, 20 million a year. There's a level of expertise, and the show fails. They're all guessing. We're all guessing. Yeah. And that's so the all great we can thing. do is make yeah, go ahead. That's that that's a great thing for actors to know because I think a lot of actors like to think that these people know everything. It's like a lot of it is guesswork. A lot of it is um not knowing exactly they're going on gut instinct. Like you said, the top person is going to have the benefit of the doubt, mm-hmm. you know, but if it goes bad, they're also going to, you know, it didn't I mean, work. unless you're like, it, but because you have, you, you still made money for, for everyone. So I, I just tell them it's got to be fun. If it's not fun, don't do it. You got to be yeah. enjoying yourself. David Lynch. If you're told, enjoying uh, yourself. D- David Lynch told uh, Billy Ray Cyrus. He said, look, if you're having fun, we're having fun. This is on exactly. Mulholland and Drive. Uh-huh. And I think actors forget that, that they yeah. they need to have fun. What do you the, think the, is the job is secondary? Getting there's the getting there's something. I I had a client who finally, after hundreds and hundreds of auditions, booked a lead role on a on a soap she was on for 10 years until the soap went off the air. And she was always feeling guilty about not going out on auditions but you have a job she was so used to going on auditions that the fact that she was not going on auditions because she actually succeeded okay that about does it for part two of my interview with seth Greenkey. i hope you enjoyed it i would like to thank him personally for coming on as always you can find me at justin yachts Please like, share, and subscribe, and consider checking out the YouTube channel. And I will see you next time on the DMF.